get rid of these. Just before I start, those who I've spoken to about our small group, um, can, can we meet just down here after church, grab a cup of coffee and uh, we just got to sort out a couple of things. should only take a couple of minutes, but that would be good. Well, thanks for being here this morning. It's, uh, it's always good to see people in church on a day like this. I've driven past about 30 coffee shops on the way and it's always tempting, isn't it, just to sort of pull over and stay there, but good to see you here at church. Hey, listen, there's a little irony about this morning. Um, I'm a bloke, you've worked that out. Thanks, Kerry. And this morning I'm going to speak about a domestic dispute between two women that happened 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to try and make some sense of that. So I'm aware of the irony of that. So you're going to have to go with me in this uh, fantastic little story that we look at in Luke chapter 10. It's in the series that Gav's got us going through in in Luke. Now, I have one or two problems, but there's one that stands out in my life. It's kind of an unusual thing. It's this. Whenever I'm watching a movie or reading a book, I often find myself feeling sorry for the bad guy. Does anybody else share that with me? Just, yeah, just only one. There's two. I'm happy to wait. The bus will wait for you. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Okay, thank you. I see we're off to a good start. I'm not sure kind of what happened in my childhood to think that I should be sympathetic to the bad guys. So I kind of checked it out. And like everything else, there's been research that's done about this emotional conundrum. And what they've discovered is that most of us know that deep down there's a sort of a darker side to us that we don't like to talk about. Every one of us, even though we're all dressed up beautifully this morning. And so when we watch a movie or we read a book, we love the good guys and we're kind of happy in many ways that there's a, there's a hero and there's, a, there's a, a good ending. But subconsciously we identify with the bad guys. We feel sad for them because we can see something of ourselves in them. And I couldn't help think of that when I read the story of Mary and Martha. I don't know if you've, you've read it lately, but it's a fascinating story and everything in me feels sorry for Martha. Don't you? Of course you do. And yet Jesus holds Mary up as the golden girl in this story. That's one of the first things I'm going to do when I get to heaven. Add a little word to Jesus about this. But have a look in in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now that word opened their home is the word hospitality. So here's Jesus and his 12 disciples, 13 of them, and she throws open the home and invites them in. Now this is 13 hungry men to feed without notice. Not a bad effort. But you see, Martha, as we learn in various passages, a classic type A personality. She's driven, demanding, controlling, always on the go, uh, get the job done kind of person. And so Martha is not looking at the size of the task. She's saying, you know what? Between me and Mary, we can do this. Don't you love those people? Doesn't matter what the task is, between the lot of us, we can get it done. Good people to have around. This is a great little story so far, but it starts to go south pretty quickly. Have a look at verse 39. 
she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said verse 40 but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made and she came to him and said Lord don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself tell her to help me beautiful story so here's all the men they come into the house they sit down Jesus is about to teach Martha whips off to the kitchen because there's 13 men to be fed and there's hospitality to be given and Mary joins the men to sit at Jesus' feet. Do you know any sitters? You know, you know the sort of people I'm talking about? There's all this work to be done and somehow these people find a way to sit while there's work to be done out in the kitchen. Mary has this godly obliviousness to the reality around her. She's a classic type B personality. Flexible, low stress, adaptable, go with the flow, meek and mild, sensitive. They are so annoying. (laughs) If you're a type B personality, welcome. Jesus loves you. (laughs) You frustrate me. (laughs) Because Here we are, it's obvious of what needs to be doing and Mary seems to be oblivious to it. So Martha's firing up in the kitchen, Mary is quietly contemplating the wonders and the joys of what Jesus has to say. You know what, I kind of thought during the week, I thought if Mary and Martha are on a ship and it's sinking, Mary would be praying and Martha would be running around looking for the lifeboats. That's that's the difference between these these two ladies. It's incredible. So you can see things are going to start to heat up here. Luke says here that Martha was distracted in verse 40. Her hands are preparing food, but her head's about to explode. Can you identify with that for a minute? You know when you're doing something and it's a good thing, but there's something else that's going on? so when she takes in the stuffed olives and the cheese platter into the lounge room the first thing she does she tries to get Mary's attention she gives her the look you know the look and the look is if you look into my eyes Mary you'll see what I'm thinking but here's the problem Mary's not looking at her she's looking at Jesus and so Martha can't get her attention uh, her attention so she goes back out into the kitchen and The Bible tells us she's out of control. She's filling up with resentment. And all of a sudden, Jesus in the lounge room has to talk a little louder because there's pots and pans banging in the kitchen and all sorts of stuff going on. She's out of control. Listen, you know this, but I'm going to tell it to you this morning. When you get angry, when you get out of control, you get angry at everybody. Anger's not containable. So Martha storms back into the lounge room and instead of unloading on Mary, she unloads on Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Did you notice that? It said Martha was distracted by the preparation that had to be made. So she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care? Isn't that fascinating? She's mad at Jesus. Jesus, why aren't you telling Mary to get out in the kitchen? 
man, this little Bible study just got squirming. It's awkward. Martha can't even use Mary's name. She says to Jesus, tell my sister, you know, my sister, that holy one, that holy airhead in the corner, tell her, tell her she's needed out in the kitchen. Uh, here's a little tip for you to take away. Uh, you know you've got control issues when you are telling Jesus what to do. <laughs> Keep that in mind. See, here's Martha. Jesus, tell her what she should be doing. What should she be doing? What I think she should be doing. <laughs> you know, here's a little problem in the church. Martha believed she knew what was right for Mary and she expected Jesus to confirm it. Do you know how difficult it is in church sometimes when you know what somebody else should be doing and you just want the Holy Spirit to confirm that because that's what you think? That's why the church has struggled so often. We're all so quick to assume we know what is best for the rest of the body. We draw a line in some issue and we want everybody to draw the same line. We, we get passionate about some point and others seem indifferent to it. We can't understand why. We want others to be just as practical, just as righteous, just as active, just as spiritual as we are. And when they're not, we get angry. You know, some of you may not have noticed that Lynn and I are very different. Like, we are very different. People sometimes think that marriage is some kind of personality blender. You know, the longer you're married, the more you just, you sort of get to be the same. You know, that's how it works for dogs. They say that dogs and their owners start to look like each other. That's a bit sad, really, for some of you. <laughs> and, and, and they start to sort of act the same because of length of time. Well, it doesn't happen with marriage. Uh, we've found that after 48 years, the older we get, the more different we are. What are you going to do about that? See, I'm a type A personality. The simplest solution to that is, is for Lynn to understand that what I think is the best way. It's not difficult. I'm a pretty reasonable guy. Who said that? <laughs> See, here's, you've got to understand this. Here's Martha who cannot understand there could be any other way for Mary than to get out in the kitchen. That's what I love about the body of Christ. I've been pastoring for over 40 years. I love the differentness. I love the complexity. I love the awkwardness, the squirminess of God trying to bring together a whole bunch of people who ordinarily don't fit together. I mean, here's two women, these are two sisters, and they can't even work together showing hospitality. Yes, ma'am. Are you happy to pinch my punchline? 
I was just going to let you go and then sit down. That's all right, Kerry. But what you say is absolutely right. Martha's doing what she's supposed to be doing. Mary's doing the unexpected. And we're going to get to that. That was my dramatic finish. So we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, you, you can go home. But see, here's the thing. Martha was missing a gospel moment. You understand by a gospel moment? Because women in those days weren't given the same privileges as men to sit under rabbis' teaching. And, and so uh, Jesus knows that things are about to change with a gospel that doesn't recognise slave or free or Jew or Gentile or male or, or female. So when Mary comes into the room, she's this little microcosm of the gospel that says, you are welcome here. Who? Anybody? To what? Sit at Jesus' feet and to receive this gospel that is not just designed for religious people or for Jews or for whatever, but for every single person. Now Mary's out in the kitchen banging pots and pans and getting angry and distracted, but she's still doing what she's always done. Now, here's the problem. Have a look at verse 41. I do love Jesus' response. Uh, Martha was distracted. Verse 41, it says, Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha. Do, do you get that? It's like when I say, Lynn, Lynn. <laughs> Just let me tell you one more time. It's a term of, of affection. <laughs> you are saying, darling, I love you, you silly woman. Can't you understand what is going on here? Here's Jesus, Martha, Martha. I love it. There's so much warmth in that. But you see, <clears throat> here's the irony. Martha doesn't want Jesus addressing her. He wants Jesus to address Mary and Mary Martha wants him to say go and tell Martha to stop sitting there and come in here and do something and yet what Jesus says to Martha is don't just do something come and sit here isn't that interesting totally different you see the problem is not here please understand this the problem is not that Martha worked and Mary worshipped the problem was that Martha's work prevented her from worship. It's a, it's a huge thing. She was distracted. So even in the preparation, which she loved to do, she couldn't even worship Jesus in that because she was so hyped up about Mary. And Jesus says, you're worried <coughs> and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Folks, we're just going to get to the heart of this now as we sort of wind this up. Jesus says, you're caught up with many things, but you're missing one thing in particular. Can I say this, that we often think the Christian life is about doing good things, and it is, better than doing bad things. But we can convince ourselves that Living the Christian life is a series of doing good things to honour God and to, to bless others. 
It's more robust than that. It's more complex than that. The Christian life is not just a matter of doing good things. It's knowing when God wants us to do better things. Do you understand the difference? I tell you, this is really important. This is a subtle problem that we have. We are happy to be doing good things so that we can avoid doing better things. In fact, good things it can even become an alibi for not doing better things. Do you know, the longer you're a Christian, that's one of our biggest problems. We're, we're very good at doing good things, and Jesus comes along and says, I want you to do a better thing. We say, Lord, I can't do that because I'm doing all these good things. I, I could give you lots of examples in the Bible, but probably the best one is the man who prepared a banquet. Do you remember that? And he sent out the invitation. He said, tell him to come into the banquet. And the one man said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Another one said, I've just married a cow. and I, Sorry, married a wife. <laughs> I, bought, I bought a cow. <laughs> That was a Freudian slip, Michael. You know what Freud said about Freud? Yeah, I don't want to know. Okay, I married a wife. I've got to get this right now. And I bought a cow. See, all these things were good. Nothing wrong with that. Except that this was an opportunity for something better. See, that's, what, that's the problem I have with religion because religion's great. I love, I love religious people wherever they are. I don't care if they're Buddhist or Hindu or Shinto or what. I love good people. But you know, the gospel is God sent his son into the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So God says, I love your heart. I love your passion. But there's something better. Gee, uh, Paul stood at, uh, at Athens and he, he talked to all these people and said, oh, I can see that you're very religious and you're very close to God, but there's something better. It's Jesus. It's his death. It's his resurrection. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's hope. What a sad thing if we're caught up with doing good things. And we miss the better things. Do you know, our culture is at the mercy of many things. You, you live in that culture. I'm retired. I just sit home and love Lynn. <laughs> but it's a culture of many things. You know, I'm just reminded, and I want to stop here just for a minute. It's a miracle that this little domestic dispute that happened in a home in Bethany made its way into the Bible. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that the great lessons of the kingdom of God, if they're not learnt in the kitchen, you won't learn them here. If they're not learnt in the unlikely places, you won't learn them here. It teaches me that truth is not just something you hear from the pulpit, it's learned in the midst of our relationships. Folks, if, if we don't know how to get on with each other, it doesn't matter how much doctrine you know. Most times, truth is not discovered in best-selling Christian books. It's discovered in the moments of our worst pain or our deepest failures. Do you see what's happening in this little story? Jesus is saying, man, here's a fantastic opportunity 
for some life-changing truth. And it's about many things versus one thing. Talking about learning in the midst of pain, uh, some of you will know Jason and Ann Howitt. Jason's now the senior pastor at Unley, where I was for quite a long time. Many years ago when uh, Jason was the youth pastor there, uh, they had twins, Ashley and Isabel. Uh, It became very clear that Isabel was struggling and as the early days went on, it also became clear that she wouldn't survive. And so after a few days, or it might have been immediately, I'm not sure, they put her on a life support system then. Uh, And one Sunday, Lynn and I were out celebrating my mum and dad's uh, 50th, 60th wedding anniversary. And we got a phone call from Jason. He said, could you come to the hospital? We're about to turn the life support system off and we'd like you to be there. So Lynn and I went straight to the hospital and we went in to the room and there's this eight-day-old little baby struggling for life and her life support is about to be turned off. Uh, I don't know what you're saying at a time like that. I certainly never learnt that in theological college. So we sat there and we hugged each other And then Anne said something to me I've never forgotten. Anne said to me, Neil, tell me again what we believe. Now, I need to tell you something. Anne hadn't forgotten what she believed. Do you know what she was saying? Neil, tell me if what we believe is real here. Does it make sense here? Because if it doesn't make sense here, I don't want it out there. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Here's this little microcosm of the church, Mary and Martha. And Jesus is saying here, Mary and Martha, let me give you just this little lesson. As you live out your life in the cut and thrust of, of every day, I'm there. And I want you to know that I'm there. And I want you to find me there. Dear old Martha, in all of her huffing and puffing and banging of pots and shouting orders to Jesus, she was missing what was most important. Let me close with this. Some of you probably remember the old original movie of City Slickers. I was going to play a little clip this morning because it's perfect for what I want. But the language is a bit rich. So I refrained. But you remember Curly and Mitch are riding along on their, their horse and, uh, and old Curly, he's giving all this sort of homespun advice and then he looks at Mitch and he says, uh, you know, you city folks, he said, you spend 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope and you think two weeks out here is going to work them all out for you. He said, you just don't get it. He said, the great secret of life, and then he holds up his finger, do you remember? The great secret of life is one thing. And by this stage, Mitch, he's nearly fallen off his horse, and he holds up his finger, he says, one thing. 
He said, what is it? What is that one thing? And old Curly says, that's for you to figure out. That's for you to figure out. Folks, just as I, I conclude, I'm not the slightest bit interested in trying to make the Christian life simple. I've given you, listen, here's the one thing you've got to go and do. This is the one thing for today. This is the one thing for tomorrow. The Christian life was never, ever meant to be that simplistic. One bloke came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. Jesus said, well, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you ready for that? Because I can tell you that every day you won't know what's coming next. But I tell you what, every day you need to find that one thing. Go figure. What is it? Slow down. Maybe Jesus says that today. Pray more. That's the other problem with growing older. You pray less. Because you've been there, you've done that, you know all the answers, you know what Jesus is going to do and say. Jesus says, you, you, you've backed off, here's this one thing, pray more. Listen better. Be less judgmental. Be more generous. Some of you might want to put a little thing in the offering bowl out there that says, give this to the preacher this morning, a thousand dollars. Is God saying that one thing to you this morning? <laughs> well, if he is, let me tell you, I'll give it straight back to Glenn Osmond. That one thing might be, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of something, it's just too hard to be still. Maybe seek wisdom. I don't know. Maybe confess failure. It's refreshing. Listen, this story is not about whether we're Mary or Martha. It's being open to the moment where the Holy Spirit says, listen, there's one thing. There's one thing I want to get you to do right now. Come aside and let me impress it upon you. Today, in this story, Jesus has to say to Martha... Martha, come and sit and listen. Another day, he might have to say to Mary, Mary, stand up and go. You can't sit around all your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Mary or Martha. God says, I want to be able to speak into that moment and make a difference. Maybe the old hymn had it right. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these two dear ladies, so different. so precious to you. I thank you that Jesus loved them both. I thank you that Jesus wasn't distracted from dealing with either Mary or Martha. And I know that that day you made a difference in that home. Father, I commit our families to you today. 
I pray for parents as they're raising children. I pray for husbands and wives. I pray for friendships. I pray for our church community. I pray for us as we're looking to reach out to the community around us that you'll give us enormous grace and understanding of the fact that you love us, that we're all so very different. Help us to be in the moment and to see the difference that that makes. Thank you for your word this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen.